Welcome to another episode of Podverb. I'm your host, Clyde Montgomery, and today I'm joined by a special guest, Dr. Watson Biriri, to discuss the authority of the Bible on origins. If this is your first time here, remember to subscribe to Podverb in your favorite podcast player. We're just about everywhere where you can get podcasts. Hello, Doc. As we start, please may you tell us a little bit more about yourself. Thank you so much, and uh, thank you for having me on the show, and hello to everybody out there listening. My name is uh, Watson Biriri. I'm a pastor uh, with the Seventh-day Adventist Church. I've been a pastor for the past uh, 19 years as of this recording. And my specialization in the study of the Bible is uh, the Old Testament with the New Testament as my cognate. I'm somebody who really enjoys talking about the creation or nature from a creation point of view. And I'm glad to be on the program today. Thank you very much. And I'm sure our audience will be excited to have you on board with all the value that you're going to be bringing. Maybe we can start off by just getting to know why you chose to follow such a deep study of the Bible. You're a theologian and not many people would follow the path that you took, you know, getting a BSc, a BA, sorry, and a master's and even following it up with a PhD degree in theology. What is the passion there? Early on in my life, I came to an appreciation of the fact that I I owe everything to God. And I felt that the best way to worship or to appreciate or to express my gratitude uh, to God for all that um, I can never repay him for was by giving myself my life and uh, especially giving myself in the prime of my life my energies, whatever capabilities that I could master and that God has uh, given me so that I give these to his service. I sharpen the tools that may be at my disposal to, to, to serve him and to serve him more effectively. That is quite powerful and that's quite awe-inspiring. I hope that those amongst our listeners who are still at a point where they can choose which path to follow in life will follow a similar path where they give the Lord their best. They give their creator the best of their energies. And I hope that he will bless your ministry and he will continue taking you from strength to strength. So as we get into our discussion for today, the question that we've received is, can the Bible be trusted on origins? And I know you've you've been a prominent voice in Zimbabwe and internationally on presentations about biblical creation. So maybe you can start us off by telling us at what point in your journey you found the biblical narrative more attractive. Yes, I believe that the Bible makes a strong case and uh, really can be trusted as uh, providing something so foundational as a worldview, what we we might call a Christian worldview, a way or a lens through which we may look at the world and try to make sense of the things that we see in the world around us. And I think that uh, my upbringing, you know, in the village or in the rural areas is an, an upbringing that had me close to nature right from a very tender age. And you begin to be quite curious and of the things that you see around you and so on. Many questions would ask grandma, sounds that you'd hear even at night and so on. Uh, so then when one is plunged into the world of different kinds of uh, explanations of possible origins and so on, 
I think I found the Bible to make more sense in terms of interpreting how the world came together, how it came into existence. Uh, so I believe the Bible is uh, something that we really should uh, take more seriously in regard to matters of origins. That's quite interesting because many people today, even some of the leading theologians, do not espouse the same conclusions that you came to. So you told us that when you were very young, you became interested in this because of the teachings that you were getting. But as you were going through your education, as you were getting higher education, what made you still remain grounded to those teachings that were given to you when you were still younger? The thing about uh, the Bible is that it invites us to, I mean, like, for example, in Isaiah chapter 1, when God says, come, let us reason together. And in Isaiah 40, we are actually challenged to look up to the heavens and uh, reflect and think about the one who made the things that we see, whether we're looking through a naked eye, I mean, using a naked eye, or we're looking through the lenses of uh, the most powerful telescopes, be they here on earth or such telescopes as the Hubble that may be in orbit above the earth and so on. But God nevertheless invites us to look into these things. You go into Psalm 95, for example, which talks about uh, God who created all these mighty things and then goes into oceanography and into topology and things like that, talking about uh, mountains and so forth. So we are invited really to think and to think critically, to reflect on the things that we see. Then when you tie in that with uh, many of the early on scientists, in, in the sense of the natural sciences, when you think of people like uh, Nicholas Copernicus, when you think of people like, uh, maybe you can say what, Tycho Brahe, and some such other people, you find that men of Galileo, Galilei, and so on, uh, many of these people were very strong believers in the Bible. Say Isaac Newton, arguably writing more books on the Bible than in, in the area of science itself. And their way of doing science was a, an attempt to appreciate the mind of God and to understand. So, you know, there are all these, you know, in the Bible itself inviting us. And then when you look at the testimony of or the witness of history, the foundations that we have in, in science or the early scientists, and how they were strong believers in the faith of God. Say Isaac Newton, for instance, is credited with having said that in the absence of all other evidence, my thumb alone is evident enough that uh, God does exist. So, yeah, it's it's quite a lot of uh, influences and things that um, we can reflect upon. That's that's quite fascinating. You know, you've shared quite a number of examples, and I'm sure many of the people that you mentioned by name are familiar to the listeners. You touched on the historical accuracy of the Bible. Could you maybe share some more light on, on that? Because I think that is very relevant to the question on whether the Bible is authoritative on origins. Can it be trusted on origins? Can you, touch, can you just share some more light on the historical accuracy of the Bible? Yes, I think we can point at uh, maybe, let's say, two things. First of all, when we look at the creation account, how God created the world and the different uh, uh, things that were put in place, we see that the Bible mentions that everything was made according to its kind, whether we are talking about a plant or animal life. The Bible says according to their kind. I know there is, um, you know, the 
uh, specific designations or classes that uh, natural sciences will have, like in the field of biology for animals and plant species and so on. But we are basically being told that, I think we can say this, I'm not a scientist, so my language may be limited, but the sense is that there is a limit to the variety that can be expressed within a given class or to for any animal or plant life, uh, there's a limit within a certain class. And so we, we look at this vis-a-vis an, op- an alternative view, Darwinian evolution as an example, which uh, postulates that life originated with uh, simple cells in uh, some prebiotic uh, waters. And then these then got to diversify and everything like that. And over long periods of time, then got to be the different kinds of species of animals and uh, all other forms of life that we know on the planet. And Charles Darwin clearly understood that uh, that process would require a lot of time for it to happen. And if a lot of time is required, that means there would be a lot of intermediary species in between. If there are a lot of intermediary species, that means some of them would die and would have a testimony to such in the fossil record. And Darwin himself was sensitive to the fact that if we do not find these intermediary species uh, or fossils, then that theory comes apart. Many, you know, geologists, even during Charles Darwin's time, actually told him that what he was saying was contrary to what uh, science was observing in the record in the rocks. For example, the Cambrian explosion. We have all these life forms that are suddenly appearing without a graduated transformation from simpler to more complex. For example, if it's a trilobite or if it's a cockroach, we, that was fossilized all those many years ago, it still looks exactly the same as a cockroach or a, a trilobite uh, or a crab today or kinds of fishes that are still there to, here today, whose fossils we can also find in the fossil record. So this then goes on to really line up with what we are seeing in the biblical text, which tells us that God created these not as things that were going to transform over time from one kind of species into another, okay? Although there's variation that can take place within a given family. So that is one. And then the second one that I'll talk about, which you find in the Bible is that, I mean, when you look in nature, we find that there's so much fine-tuning that that happened, or in other words, the intelligent design. You know, there are many scientists today who are neither Darwinian evolutionists, nor are they pushing creation but they just stand by the idea that definitely there is intelligent design. When we look into maybe, let's say, the functions of the human body, anatomy and physiology, when you look at the cell, animal cell, plant cell, or whatever, from the cell all the way to the, let's say, the solar system, something as large as the solar system, it's amazing that planet Earth happens to find itself in ex- at exactly the right distance from the sun, 150 million kilometers, and the right velocity, density, and so on, as it orbits around the sun. In this track, which is called the zone of tolerance, if it moves slower, it's sucked into the sun, it's roasted. If it moves too fast, it zooms away and it freezes, away from the sun, that is and it freezes. So there are thousands and thousands of parameters that have been finely tuned to make life possible. 
fine-tuned both within our bodies, in our environment, and as far as the solar system and maybe beyond. So, I mean, all these things really tell us that when God says that I made the world to be inhabited, that really lines up well with what we actually observe using science. You know, you're making a fascinating analysis that combines both what we see in the Bible and what we observe in nature. There have been some people that have, in studying the creation account in the Bible, they've been trying to find a place, you know, where they can harmonize what most of conventional science teaches and what we find in the Bible. And this has led to some gray areas, you know, that have been observed and also some speculative explanations. And I think maybe we you, you can help us here because you're a theologian. One of those is the concept that God did not create in six literal days, but he took billions of years. So each of those days stood for a long period of time. I don't know what your take is there. Can we trust this explanation that tries to marry conventional scientific explanations with what we read in the Bible? Or can we trust what the Bible actually says to say six days is when the creation happened? Okay, thank you so much. There are two things there. The first one is that I think terminology becomes very important here because there is um, maybe what you have termed conventional science, which may really boil down to naturalism, which aligns quite well with Darwinian evolution, although we know that Darwinian evolution itself has been metamorphosing and uh, going through uh, changes of its own. If you like, uh, it has uh, actually been evolving. And then there is science. Science itself has got I mean, specific procedures, how it proceeds from observation, and then as we try to explain what we are seeing and uh, so forth, this is, I mean, a formulation of a hypothesis, and then testing it, observing and recording and so on. That is science. There are many scientists who are firm believers in the creation of the world as are described in the Bible. And then... There are others who are, so it, it then goes to the issue of presuppositions. So the presupposition of naturalism precludes a creator God. So I think that is very important. And then when we come to the, when people then begin to try and bridge the two, uh, the, the gap between, let's say, naturalism and creationism, and then come up with a hybrid position, in many, in many instances, they actually lose respect of both those in naturalism and those who really believe in creation. And in other words, they get stranded in no man's land. Now, the word that is translated as day in, in the Hebrew Bible is the word yom. At no instance is it used to refer to, you know, extended long periods of time. It is used many times in the Hebrew Bible. And it is always used to refer to, I can say in most instances, it's just referring to a 24-hour period as we experience, as we know it today. And then there are other times when it's used maybe in a prophetic sense in, in saying that in that day, which means it's being used eschatologically, speaking to a particular day when God will intervene in the affairs of history. That is kind of like the, the two senses, but 
there is nothing in the creation account that suggests that it means anything other than a specific you know day and night period as we experience them evening and morning evening and morning uh, that is uh, what we see there and it's, it's it's there's nothing to suggest that that will really be superimposing a certain meaning or understanding on the biblical text which was unknown to the writer and to the first readers of that of that of the biblical text so basically from your explanation naturalism and the biblical account of creation are essentially incompatible yes they are incompatible they have got uh, presuppositions that are just and uh, that cannot be compatible um because naturalism um, yeah in fact when you get into that that realm of naturalism i see it as uh, something that really requires a lot of faith and maybe more faith than one would require to believe in creation because naturalism seeks to uh, tell me that the world happened uh, by itself uh, a long long time ago before time was there at a certain place before space was there something got together by itself this something which got together got together before matter existed and that something which actually was nothing became so hot and dense then it exploded and later on it rained on the rocks for millions of years creating this prebiotic soup out of which the simple cells came and then all the speciation that we see that's why we are here today uh, and we are having this conversation that takes because that has never been observed anywhere so the moment we are talking about something like that we have departed from the realm of science we are now in the realm of faith. It now takes faith to believe that something like that would happen in that kind of way, where something which is nothing can become so dense and so hot and explode and be everything, uh, and so on. Like is you know, um, so there, 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 and then the fact that naturalism just doesn't see any place for God. There's no place for miracles. In any case, there's no miracle worker. So there is. Yeah, the, the two are totally incompatible. That's why people come up with a, comp- a compromised position of theistic evolution, which tries to bridge between creation as uh, given in the Bible and um, the natural origin of the world as uh, given by naturalism. Okay, that's quite clear. And I hope all our listeners were able to understand why these two are incompatible. As we bring this towards a close, there are some people that I have uh, encountered who doubt the authenticity of the Bible. They say it's a very old, it's a very old book, and there is no reliable you know, way that this could have been transmitted throughout the years without changes being added here and there. So could it not be that the biblical account of origins could have been put in there more recently than you know what people suppose would be the case that it was written many, many years ago by an author who is identified as Moses? Could it not be that someone along the chain changed things and gave us the story that we believe to be to, to, to be the biblical record, as it were? What's your take on that? Um, I think to a large extent, that is a case that um, does not arise among Bible scholars. 
because there's a specialized field in biblical studies, which is known as textual criticism. Now, textual criticism goes to the, deals with the, with establishing the veracity of the biblical text using scientific procedures, actually. <laughs> so it is a highly specialized area. Uh, there used to be a lot of noise about that kind of thing, saying, oh, maybe how do we know this is reliable? This is what Isaiah actually said, and so on and so on. Until in 1946-47, when the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered at Qumran, on the shores of the, of course, of the Dead Sea in the Jordan Valley. And now it's amazing that these, these texts, which were about a thousand years older than the oldest um, manuscripts or biblical texts that we had at that time, these texts that predated the time of Christ were then, it was, I mean, <laughs> something, they were then compared with uh, the text as we have it today. So, uh, among those biblical texts were like the book of Isaiah, Habakkuk, Daniel, and uh, many others were then compared with the biblical text we have today. It's amazing how the biblical text has been preserved with such accuracy. It's really amazing. Um, you know, when you look at what the scribes used to do to maintain the uh, integrity of the text, how they would count every word in every book. At the end of the book, they would put some notes telling you how many words are in this book, which is the center word, and so on and so on, so that you can actually verify. And it's, it's really a discipline on its own. So I would really say that, yes, we have some variants, like in spelling, like the spelling of Nebuchadnezzar, or, and then sometimes you find it as Nebuchadnezzar. But these are immaterial. Um, variants that you find, but in terms of the message of the Bible itself, oh, it has been preserved with amazing, amazing consistency and accuracy. And the Bible, of all documents from antiquity, it is amazing the number of manuscripts that we have and how these have been preserved. So that is really something that speaks more in favor of the Bible than inspired doubt or suspicion in any mind. So largely, this is a question that doesn't really arise among Bible scholars. And I think you are more than qualified to be commenting on this because you do have advanced degrees in studying the Bible. No, thank you very much, Dr. Mbiriri, for taking the time to be with us here on the podcast and for sharing with us all these valuable points that you have um, shared. And I do hope that in the future, we can be able to have you on board as we tackle and explore other areas in the study of origins. Thank you so much for having me. If, with your permission, I'll just read uh, one verse. That is Isaiah 45, verse number 18. For thus says the Lord that created the heavens, God himself formed the earth and made it. He has established it. He created it not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there's, no, there's none else. I like that when it says he formed it, not in vain, but to be inhabited, which means there was intentionality, there was a purpose, there was function. Mars was not formed to be inhabited, and no one can inhabit it. But this planet, God says, I formed it to be inhabited. And I think science shows us in so many ways how 
if certain things are out of place, how it would not be uh, habitable. So we just want to thank God and thank you so much for having me on the program. And I just want to wish everybody out there the best in whatever they're doing. And um, I also recommend the Bible to them and I recommend Jesus. Amen. Thank you for that. If people want to get in touch with you, are you present on social media? Or maybe you might want to share your contact details, how they can get in touch with you. Yes, I'm present on social media. Um, Watson Biriri, that's my name on Facebook. Uh, so someone can come to Messenger. I think um, I can say, yeah, maybe Messenger, maybe one of the easiest, that same name. All right. So the link will be provided in the show notes of this episode. Thank you all for joining us. And I hope you will have a blessed day, whatever you're listening to this. And I look forward to joining with you on the next episode of Podverb. Be blessed.